So I thought I might actually usefully be- begin by talking about uh, mind, giving a Buddhist, Dhamma, Buddhist perspective on what we, what mind is. And uh, perhaps we just put the word mind, suspend it for a while and use the word citta. So just... Uh, Let's that, leave that untranslated chitta, but this is the, this whatever it is, this is the experience that experiences release, liberation, is freed from birth and death. It is uh, said to be something that transmigrates from one life to the next. It is the source of impulses, um, harmful tendencies, says so a chitta that is untrained is like a wild creature and there's nothing so beautiful and so well div- so skillful as a well-trained chitta <laughs> so and so a lot of the training is about chitta and there's another word which is also translated as mind which means mano and we'll get to that later chitta so <coughs> fundamentally it's experienced as an, an effective sense effective means you you sense you're being affected you're moved you're touched your um you know something catches you something affects you there's a feeling there feeling of pleasure or pain immaterial now if we just consider (coughs) you know how do we know anything you know, when we're using the word knowing very broadly, how do you know it's hot or cold? How do you know you're sitting upright rather than lying down when you close your eyes? How do you know you're breathing in and out? How do you know whether you're happy or sad? Yeah. These are things that require no particular effort. They're just, they come to us, don't they? Sometimes we wish they didn't come to us, unpleasant feelings. So the quali- this quality of uh, ability to know something, yeah, something that we all experience. It's not cognitive. It's not about being able to name something. It's just being able to be affected. Now, naming something might come on top of that. First of all, you feel affected, and then you oh, it's it's um, what is it? Oh, it's that. It's bothering me. Or oh, yeah, I feel quite. I feel a little bit sad. You know. You, you, get to think it later but first we get the effect there's an effective sense yeah so something is moved something shifts from one state to another state Um, so this shifting from one state to another state this registering of state and shifting from one state to another state and we realize this this experience is shifting all the time isn't it any particular time we can know we feel hungry and then we remember something we should have done and we feel a bit guilty and then we see something beautiful and we feel interested and you know, so it's just shifting along from moment to moment. It's a dynamic ongoing experience. It's not a it's not a fixed thing. It's a continually changing thing and it fluctuates between um, being moved by bodily experiences, by visual experiences, by memories, by intuitions, by thoughts. It's always all that we say is, is, is mind, that sense of being affected and moving. 
we know we know things so it's it's, uh, it's dynamic it's energetic it's responsive it formulates that is gets a certain set of experiences as oh that's that's heat or that is hunger or that is uh, uh, irritation mm-hmm. yeah. so it's able to formulate around these experiences now if we look at that or consider that you recognize this is something that uh, is on a very rudimentary level or fundamental level innate to all life you see so if you put a uh, tree in the ground its roots will start to move to where's where the water is and they'll grow in that particular way yeah. the leaves will orient towards the light they'll move towards the thing will move towards the light it's got some kind of intelligence its ability to to uh, receive impressions get the message and respond yeah so this and then if you take that to cellular life and amoeba get an amoeba and you put it somewhere and you put a drop of something toxic in front of it it wriggles away put food in front of it it wriggles towards it (laughs) so it is able to receive an impression formulate it and then react to that so but do amoebas get enlightened i doubt it but they do a, a kind of like this very fundamental intelligence so when you when you we are conceived we start out as one cell don't we one little cell and that cell starts dividing and if you notice it just it doesn't divide into the same thing we're not just a kind of a formless blob but some bits go off and become hair some bits go off and become liver some bits go off and become teeth some bits become brain very different um, things coming out of one cell knowing what to do yeah. and it generally doesn't doesn't create eyes in the middle of your hands but up in your head so it's there's an intelligence there mm-hmm. something knows what to do all this is uh, called uh, sankara sankara is the formative energetic creative responsive what do you call it energy you could say it's it's an energy it's, it's a, like we might if you break down material life you get co- genetic you get dna and genes and genomes you know things like that well similarly if you look into intelligence you get right down the bottom line of it you've got sankara which means this very fundamental ability to to receive formulate respond the fundamental sankara is called ayu sankara the sankara of life force itself which life force will always be encoded with the message to feed there's no life force that doesn't want to feed on something to grow yeah no light no living form wants to you know decline wants to grow and to reproduce itself somehow that's what they all do from a plant to a slug on up to us so that's the code 
That's how come life keeps going. Yeah, and it's responding to to circumstances and, and conditions and environment. Sankara. Mm. And in uh, human beings, and perhaps in we might, you know other forms of life, mammals or higher what we call higher forms of life. You have this bodily sankara, which is in form, which is basic to all living forms, as a bodily intelligence, you might say, um, is able to respond to heat and cold, threat, and so forth, response, and to reproduce and to metabolize. It breaks down its food. It knows how to do that. That's called kaya sankara. Sometimes I've translated in the text as bodily formation. Formation is not a particularly good word, but there really aren't that isn't a good word for sankara. I tend to use things like activities to to um, acknowledge the active quality of this thing. It's energetic. Formations will tend to highlight the fact that this activity produces things, but. One word I sometimes use is with programs, because programs both are active and they create other programs. <laughs> they're codes, they're like genetic codes. So sankharas are programs. And the program of Kaya Sankara is metabolize, keep the energy going, um, check in with the whole bodily form, you know, fill the whole bodily form, check in with what's happening in it, heal it, repair it, breathe in and out, Keep the thing going. <laughs> That's where it's so kaya sankara, and right at the centre of that, the the governor of that kaya sankara is called the breathing in and out, um, which refers to not just the physical breath but the chi, the prana. So it's called anapana. Uh, is the Pali word which is uh, the same as the Sanskrit word prana, which means little more than air, but it means the uh, life energy, chi. Right? So, so when we're cultivating anapanasati, we're really cultivating uh, the energy that goes along with breathing in and out. It's synonymous with this refreshing, re- revitalizing, regenerating, cleaning, relaxing energy in the body. And so breathing in and out is the way to track that. We focus on that respiration experience and your, your track, you're gradually coming to touch with this energetic in and out form, which is a form of energy, which you think can spread through the whole body. As it says in the Anapanasati Sutta, uh, one focuses on breathing in, breathing out, uh, spreading it through the entire body. Well, clearly the Air doesn't pass through the whole body, but the energy of it does. So as you develop anapana sati, you can, as, you, as your mind quiets down, you can feel this suffusion of vitality moving through the body with, associated with the breath. This is kaya sankara. Mm. It's intelligent. And we also have uh, another one called Vajji Sankara, which is peculiar to humans. I think they say, think some, no, some, a- some animals have a similar ability to 
to um, you know cognize to to uh, to um, uh, to form some kind of naming experience, knowing uh, cognitive experience. But humans, we uh, uh, are, are um, reportedly have <laughs> this capacity. <laughs> Sometimes it eludes us. <laughs> ability to come up with words <laughs> you know. so this is very handy because then you can abstract an experience like you can think Africa or you can think uh, uh, insurance policy or you can think uh, traveling to um, India next year get the get your health certificate or get your you know you can actually things that are not there at all you can conjure up as abstract and you can act upon them so we can plan our lives, we can remember things, we can contact things that are not physically here and bring them to mind and conceive and organize. So this is great for organizing things, it's this capacity. This is called Vajji Sankara, the articulation energy. Uh, and it's an, it's, uh, an energy that uh, when we, we sit quietly and mind goes quiet, or perhaps when there's something you don't know, you can f- actually feel something stirring, trying to come up with a word for it. What's her name? What's it's um, no, it begins. It's uh, and you something's can feel this energy, trying to tighten up and create some sound that will be her. Yeah, yeah. You know, or when you're trying to do maths, what's 152 divided by seven? You go. If it was something kind of bunching up, trying to get it together. So it's an energetic thing, isn't it? This is Vajji Sankara. Now, the the bit that organizes the whole thing, all these, so, so we can recognize even with Kaya Sankara, there's all sorts of stuff going on in terms of physical feelings, energies, heat, cold, metabolism, state of health, tension or relaxation, um, you know, from the from the might say the sympathetic nervous system, the motor nervous system, the parasympathetics nervous system, all this stuff is coming in. Something has to decide what's the important bit in all this. What's the, what's the whole picture of this? Yeah, what's the whole picture of this? Some over get you know gets the whole oversees the whole thing. It makes sense out of it, or well, some sense. This is called chitta. Um, so we might very well feel, yeah, you know, my foot, my left foot is cold, um, but you know, nobody's giving me a hard time. It's quite pleasant in here, no particular stress. I'm okay. <laughs> That's the whole thing, you know. Oh, we might feel well, you know, worried about the f- finances. Sun's having a bit of a dodgy patch. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not okay. You know, I'm not. The general feeling is stress, or, or manageable, or pretty manageable with a little bit of stress, or almost unbearable. So something something sums up all of the messages that are happening into one picture, and we call it "I am." That that "I am" is chitta. So, chitta is the "I am" expression at any given moment. Yeah. And it's a summary. So if you say, I am happy, you say, well, is your ear happy? No. Is your belly happy? Well, pr- no. Is your 
but overall the basic gestalt thing is okay happy mm-hmm. well, bits of you might be very unhappy you know you might have a um, you know painful um, feeling in your finger but somebody's just given you a birthday present and it's a sunny day and you feel I am happy (laughs) so it just summarizes and takes the dominant theme this is chitta Mm. now it does that through (coughs) its own sankhara the chitta sankhara is said to be perception and feeling so the particular um, information that it, it receives and and uh, derives its meaning from is feeling the quality of pleasure or pain which can be physical or mental and perception perception is the interpretation the felt meaning so it's from this that we derive mental feeling so you see something that you know colors shapes light and your mind says oh that's really beautiful your eye doesn't say that your eye just says light shape black white green whatever your eye says, oh, your mind says, oh, that's beautiful. Or, oh, that reminds me of something else that gives me a good feeling. Yeah? Uh, you look at someone and they're, they're smiling at you and you think, oh, friendly, happy. You look at someone they're not smiling at you, uncertain, anxious. Someone's scowling at you, threat, guilt, fear. See, so from particular visual data, one derives these meanings and the meanings start are the mi- though that deriving of meaning that's the citta sankara creating a meaning out of sensed experience yeah and the meaning has have have a feeling associated with it such as uh, you know threat feels unpleasant uh, warmth feels affection feels pleasant and there's a lot in this stuff actually because um, although we have these 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 interpretations these felt meanings they're not always accurate yeah and they shift a lot so that strange looking guy I don't trust him. He looks he looks like he's a suspicious character to me. Sitting there in silence, expressionless, glum. He must be scheming something. I feel nervous. Say, so, no, he's a, he's a Buddhist meditator. <laughs> <laughs> Peaceful, calm, relaxed. Oh, I feel relaxed now. Yeah. <laughs> so you see people stumbling up and down with the blankets wrapped round them. If you're in a monastery, oh, meditator. See them, see them outside, mad. <laughs> <laughs> Deranged, or lost something, or mind, you know, gone crazy. Wandering around with blankets wrapped round their shoulders, looking at the ground, must be crazy. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> Which is true. 
who knows? But we, we have these meanings, yeah? So, particularly around other human beings, we're highly attuned to interpretation because human beings mean a huge amount to us, whether they're friendly or unfriendly, threatening, so forth. So we do all these social gestures to indicate we're okay or we're annoyed or we're, you know, whatever we are. But of course, different cultures have different social gestures. So sometimes you can't read, you know, people from another culture that well. You know? So you might take somebody f- from Japan, might have a different way of expressing or, or manifesting the quality of, of, of um, openness that we can't read it. So we think, I don't know about this guy, you know, uh, and so on. So these interpretations, these felt, these felt meanings or perceptions, the mind builds them. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not necessarily a true uh, interpretation of what's going on, but they're what we subjectively experience. But this is what the mind experiences. It doesn't experience anything other than perceptions and feelings. It doesn't assemble anything other. It doesn't see anything. He doesn't hear anything. This is rather, sometimes rather alarming. (laughs) This blind, deaf, dumb creature is steering our lives. And all the time, in order to do that, it's building perceptions, interpretations to guide it. And it's not always right. Yeah. A lot of the time you have to keep checking. Is he okay? Can I trust him? Is he okay? Can I trust him? Yeah. He's not saying that. Is he okay? Yeah. Check, check. So you keep saying something. Get some. You keep having to do it, checking in to make to, to try and get that felt meaning correct. And just as you're getting it, he shifts <laughs> into some other mood and it's going off again. <laughs> So that's why it takes quite a long time, doesn't it, to get to know someone and feel comfortable with them, you know, because you just you realise you've got this this feedback which is you realise is not that accurate. And then you might have certain because the mind builds these perceptions and feelings, it also creates a library of them. You might say perceptions and feelings, a library of them. Mm-hmm. So. You know, you, when you're, as, so you, you know, you, when you're four years old, you get bitten by a dog. So in the library goes, dogs, savage, brutal creatures, keep away from them. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, that's one thing dogs can be. Also, can be a lot of other things. Yeah. So, but if we have a very powerful experience like that, we don't want to go and check it out again in case we get bitten again. <laughs> So you just keep that book on the shelf until, you know, maybe somebody helps you to get over it. Mm. And through our life, we have these quite, sometimes quite powerfully unpleasant feelings, uh, painful, violated, um, let down, disappointed, that create these, these perceptions in our mind that then become established as true and real that I will steer by. You can't trust that. You always got to be careful of da. You know, this is going to cause you pain. Uh, don't you know? Some of it's true. Some of it has some truth. All of it has some truth in it, 
none of it is absolutely true. We also have things that have caused us pleasure. Banana, ice cream, rock and roll, uh, brown ale, watching the telly, playing tennis. Think, oh, that's good. Do it again. Oh, that's good. Do it again. Oh, I don't feel so good anymore. Because <laughs> one, one was okay. <laughs> seven, seven of them <laughs> are not okay. So the perception comes in that thing, that glass of something, that lump of something, that tactile object, that thing that I eat or taste or smoke or drink or see equals pleasure. But it doesn't. It, it equals something that w- the one time is arising with pleasant feeling, but uh, that's the, if you put that in your library as brown ale equals happiness, then of course you get into big problems around that. So we get these addictions around pleasure, pleasure and we get uh, phobias around pain and these are the established perceptions. So this very much then, which is supposed to be guiding the mind, becomes a guide, but but it cripples it, because we are now hemmed in by our attachments, which we can't bear to live without, and our phobias, which you can't bear to come into contact with. So uh, the span of our life is narrowed by these phobias and attachments, or phob- some, some of these, all these addictions. And then around that, perceptions, because this is all happening in the sphere that is called I am, you know, the shit is the I am experience, this becomes established as myself. So I start to habituate and organize my my myself around my attachments and phobias because yeah. that that's that's those are the things that give me the structure the felt meanings of structured mm. and so for example you know we get these uh, um, behaviors we might also look at things that we like to eat drink taste things we like to shows or entertainments we particularly enjoy or scenarios that we find ourselves very uncomfortable with you know being feeling intimidated or feeling you know or, or, or anxious or uncertain we don't want to go into those so our life gets directed through what the phobias and the attachments great and lesser will allow us. This is the problem of citta. It assembles perceptions. It, 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 it has no choice but to do that. That's its sankara, that's its program, that's what it's supposed to do. But it doesn't always get them right. This is why a deluded citta is a great burden and a cause of suffering. Mm. The delusions or the what is called the vipalasas, that's V-I-P-P-A-L-A-L-A-S-A, the vipalasas are 
to do with the jitters, what the jitter has assembled. And it says that pollutions are to see that which is uh, essentially changeable, subject to change, inconstant, as established, solid and real. Yeah. So, you know, we, we may imagine our house or our clothes or our bodies are, are just this way and they shouldn't be any other way. Or we've established particular habits as solid and substantial and real and things we can't possibly live without. Mm. And yet they're actually insubstantial and changing. <laughs> uh, so that's a big, the crunch comes, doesn't it, sooner or later. Mm. So that's a big, that's a big delusion feature. We, Im- we imagine things are essentially happy uh, rather than being not so much unhappy as not constantly happy. Yeah. So things that may give us happiness and pleasure at one time will not, will not do that unfailingly. Dukkha. So to see the, that which is essentially not about sus- uh, sustained happiness as that which could be or should be about sustained happiness, this is another delusion. I think for many of us this is the wake-up, isn't it? You know, here I am living in a reasonable state of being. Uh, I have a lifespan that's, you know, probably 50, 60, 70 years, who knows, but quite good. I have food every day. Um, there's nobody bombing me or shooting me up, blowing me up. Uh, I can walk around. I've got a fair amount of things I can do, be it enjoy, read, look at, touch taste, see, in fact, many, many things. I can look at televisions, computers, listen to radios and so forth. I can drink and eat all kinds of things. Shelter, roof over my head, adequate clothing, friends, and I'm depressed. (laughs) 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 Why? (laughs) What? Why is that? You know, because these things, although when you li- line them up, sound good, and, and if you don't have them, you can envy them. Once you got them, you think, well, so what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm fed up with this, bored with this. This isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, yeah. So these things are not by themselves innately. The, the essence is not happiness. The essence is fundamentally change. So when you put, when you ask them to be constantly happy, of course uh, another person you know won't feel great sense of delight affection for that mood doesn't stay there all the time. Changes we get disappointed, confused, irritated, angry with each other, And essentially, the, the the other one, big one, is to see that which uh, we, uh, which is essentially not a, an unbroken, coherent self. To be myself, so Chitta continually gives this experience of I am, I am, I am, I am, but what I am shifts and changes, so it's never consistent it's never and it's always associated with something else like I am happy I am 
hungry, I am tired, I am uh, um, busy, I am um, quiet, I'm calm. There's no I am that doesn't have something stuck to it that doesn't, you know, it predicates something else. Uh, I am going to be. Uh, I was. Um, so it's, it's you can't have an I am which doesn't have some qualifier to it. And the qualifier changes. So I am happy doesn't stay happy. I, comes, I am happy, I'm a little bit happy, I am slightly nervous, I am busy, I'm calm. Uh, so the I am sense changes. In other words, the stamping of things, the rubber stamp I am, keeps landing on experience <laughs> fairly regularly. <laughs> but what it lands on is shifting. And the mistake is just because we keep stamping things as I am, that that I am persists independent of what is being stamped upon. But you can't have an I am that isn't stamped upon something. Yeah? I am thinking. I am uncertain. I am trying to find an answer. I am questioning. I am, you know, I am in a state of doubt. That still you put this stamp is still going on some mental state or another. So the I am is never independent from some experience that it's having that, that will change and that will pass. The I am always rests upon a, some experience that changes and passes. So it's neither independent nor is it um, coherent. In other words, it's, 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 it's never completed by itself. In this way, we can't call this thing an independent soul or self. Yet there's a sense of, oh, that isn't what I am, but I must be something else. There's something else like, what should I, what really, it was my true nature. What really am I? Who am I really? Why don't people understand the real me? <laughs> and then you realize, I don't understand the real me either. <laughs> yeah. So these are the fundamental uh, confusions that the citta carries with it, uh, the citta that's affected by avijja ignorance. We s when we look at it directly, we, all, we can experience this, this I am, this jitter experience is continually shifting, changing, morphing, you know, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, bright, dark, stale, vibrant. It's, it's a shifting pattern. It's, it's energy. It's an energy pattern. An energy that has intelligence to it, the ability to be affected, and it builds up these perceptions and feeling and feeling is the big one because that's the that's the where the button gets pushed pleasure pain when you experience pleasure or pain the your energy crystallizes around that isn't it you know, you've got a thorn in your finger the rest of your body disappears and there's just this f massive finger with a thorn in it <laughs> You notice that whichever finger you, you cut is the most important finger of your hand. It's the only one you can feel, the rest of them disappear. Where the feeling is, that's, that's where the mind goes and builds reality. Yeah, you know. 
I'm dying, my finger. (laughs) (laughs) And pleasure. When you go, the pleasure button hits, everything rushes for that. Everything, you know, we're really, you know, inflamed with, with pleasure, with passion, with lust then we just home in on that, to even to, to the point of killing ourselves with that pleasure. Uh, I remember seeing this a little film clip of an experiment they did on a, on a rat, uh, where they were able to insert some, some electrode into the rat's brain and touch, and tr- we should touch the pleasure center in the rat's brain. And every time it pushed its nose on a little um, bar, this thing would trigger pleasure into his brain. So he just did that, don't, ooh, don't. (laughs) 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 Doing that. (laughs) And then they took the rat and they put it like, um, you know, a meter away from this bar and they had a, a zinc, perforated zinc strip, which they put electric current through. And this rat would run across this <laughs> electrocute, electric current to get to his pleasure bar, you know. I mean, you see people going into to, uh, the pub, <laughs> you know, tr- or, you know, there's excitement of the January sales or, or whatever it is, the big thing, you're pushing, fighting, charging, crushing each other to get into the where, the, where the happy bit is. You see, well... You know, this rat pattern isn't that difficult to uh, sympathize with, <laughs> you know, lining up. Mm. So, run around this, so this is what the we call the, the effect, pleasure, uh, pleasure, pain, and uh, perception. And the, the mind's feelings are based upon perception. That's where the good stuff is but the perceptions are not accurate, not totally accurate. The other thing, the other aspect of what Sankara and Jitta is about is is Chetana, which is the response. Chetana is the response to perception and feeling. It's the charge, it's the impulse, it's the volitional push. It's the, uh, it's called, it's sometimes translated as intention. But unfortunately intention makes it sound too much like an idea. It's not an idea. It's an impulse. It's, whoops, there you go. You finally find your mind is triggered, attracted, repelled. It it moves. So that's its, if you like, the the perception and feeling is is the the button that gets pushed and intention is the response that comes up. Uh, and so this could be, um, you know, intentions that are skillful, such as towards you see someone in pain, you want to help them, you feel that movement to curing their suffering. You see someone you're fond of, you want to give them something, that's skillful intention. Mm-hmm. Someone in need, you want to help them out, skillful intention. Um, um, you see something yourself that you feel this is not good, you check it, skillful intention, you restrain that impulse. Um, could be unskillful, anger, uh, violence, so forth. You, something annoys you, you 
acting, your mind moves in that way. Most of our Buddhist training on one level is just about uh, substituting these just unaware intentions, reactions and impulses with clear intentions. So this is where we have uh, things like parami, the ten paramita, generosity, virtue, renunciation, discernment, um, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolution, kindness, and equanimity. So, you know, you start to get these and you establish them. You look to how you can establish them. And uh, the bit about that is these can be established through concepts. And so you can think, oh, patience, right, that, those words, that, those, those string of letters trigger off a meaning which you gradually get better at. First of all, it may not be patience means hanging around wasting my time. No. <laughs> it means hanging on until it passes. No. It means letting go of time having all the time in the world, just softening the edge of time. That's what it means. And you get the meaning, the perception, and that triggers a different impulse. And just relax, just be with this. Stop struggling, stop pushing, stop clamoring, because this is stressful. Relax, be with this, patience. So you can then train your chitta through this conceptual means, so a lot of these te- teachings are mostly given conceptually. That, of course, is not adequate. You know, you can take a word like patience and uh, patience, yeah, right, right, next. So <laughs> it's got to be the process is one, but one hears something, you're given some reason to believe this is good. You see someone who's, who's manifesting, you think, oh, she's pretty patient. Look at that, she's not getting upset. That's really, that's beautiful. I wish I could be like that. So you see someone modeling it. You get the meaning of it. You check it out. Is that good or not? You struggle with it because it takes time to get it there. And gradually you, you get, you, it starts to work. And you say, yeah, that, that restless, angry, irritable, demanding quality, I can let go of that. I feel better. Hmm? So this is how we... You know, internalize the teaching. So it goes from concept to perception right down to intention until you, you've begun to replace these unskillful volitional impulses with either just sort of nothing, you know, or calm, openness, emptiness, or um, you, know, you replace when somebody's unpleasant to you, you replace your anger with a feeling of Wow, she's in a bad way. Compassion. (laughs) So this is all the the training of the mind. So this, the the mind has, the chitta has an organ called mano, which is sometimes translated as the mind organ, sometimes translated as the intellect, which specifically does the job of fine-tuning the input of the mind. So its, it's fundamental quality is, is attention. It has the, the sankhara of attention to it. 
which attention means you can you can change the focus you can zoom in on an object and just really get it and keep tweaking it until you got it right just like you're using a, a camera or something you're really getting the focus right so intention that, that's a sankara that's the impulse attention is the sankara that again energetically and actively keeps changing the focal point so you really get all the detail you want out of that you know just like focusing a camera you got it just right. That's that's got it. That's it. Is that it? Yeah, got it. That's attention. Mm. So through through what now if attention is what's called wise attention, then you attend to something that's that's skillful, useful, get all the details of that, and that enables you to bring it in. Yeah. Now we can of course attend unwisely, which is you attend to things that make you more greedy, jealous, intolerant, <laughs> and you get obsessive around that. You know, you attend to somebody's faults because she's like that and she always does that and she never does that and I bet she did that and she's just like that and you keep going on and on and on. This is, and you're feeling more and more mean, wretched and spiteful as you do so. This is called unwise attention. So, you know, the attention itself could be skillful or unskillful, but is it giving rise to, to skillful mind states or unskillful ones? Does it give rise to wholesome intentions or unwholesome intentions? Attention and intention are the very hub of the mind, you know, of the mind as an activity, as, as an agent rather than as a recipient. Mm. Attention will then build up the perceptions. The perceptions will trigger off the intentions. So when, when you see, when you begin to recognize that, you, you see the, the need for all these variety of skillful factors to govern, to train, to supervise, to keep checking in with the mind what it's doing. Hmm? This is all these activities of mind. Chitten. Now, um, there's kind of one, perhaps, last piece on the, on the nature of mind. We have talked about all these sankharas, which is all the moving, active stuff. The percep perceptions are formulated by sankhara. It's all the energetic intelligences that are going and they're changing and they're shifting and they're active all the time. Yeah, but rather like when you take an atom and you see, and the atom you've got these electrons whizzing around it, and the atom, as we all know, these things are pretty solid and yet you start to put them under a microscope and you realize there's actually almost nothing there. <laughs> it's just the electrons whizzing around very fast and tiny little particles of matter. Most of it's open space. The mind is very much the same. Yeah, apart from all the, en all the activity, it's completely still. Apart from all the noise, it's completely quiet. Apart from all the agitation, it's totally peaceful. <laughs> but <laughs> the problem is we don't notice that bit. Because <laughs> what we tend to attune to is the, is the energetic, changing, feeling, effective, perceptive, what am I going to do about it stuff. We're tuning to the, the sankara, the sankata, and we're not tuning into the asankata, the unconditioned, which is... You know, 
you know, the Buddha said, this is, I t- there's this reveal, <laughs> this is, I tell you there is this. There is the unconditioned unborn. This is the end of suffering and stress. But you don't, you don't get it because uh, the tongue, the taste, the antennae of the mind are all tuned to into the impulsive, affective, feeling, good, bad, happy, unhappy states. Mm. But most, you know, and yet, there's one uh, supreme factor that the Buddha talks about, mentions, last thing he said in his life all sankharas are impermanent keep practicing with heedfulness apamadena with heedfulness his last, his last message is say what is buddhism Last, but his last words just to kind of sum it all up in one neat sound bite was <laughs> all conditioned phenomena are impermanent all this energetic stuff that's so hypnotic so mesmerizing it's all changing passing practice with apamada heedfulness vigilance attention wise attention skillful attention full attention and uh, one of our opening quotes here, heedfulness is the path to the deathless. Mm, those who are heedful do not die, those who are heedless are dead already. Very poetic, uh, powerful, mm, cryptic, you know, you know, hitting the nail right on the head. Strong language. The heedless are dead or as if dead already. Those who are heedful do not die. Or, or you could say those who are heedful touch into the deathless. And so the deathless is a synonym for this, the unconditioned. The vast uh, space within the spinning web of sankharas. And it's through heedfulness that we, something in us, our fundamental intelligence, uh, sankharas, our, uh, that which is intelligent, begins to get the message about all our hopes and joys, sorrows and delights and so forth, our interpretations of ourselves and others, of the world, the way we should be and where we should be is just this <laughs> It's all something you can't build it, it's nothing solid or reliable about any of it. Uh, so that's, that's not, it sounds like a, like a philosophical or dismissal, but it's not, it's not an intellectual, it's, it's an emotional heart sense of something does not get so established, so excited, so crushed, so <laughs> wound up about all this. There is a, in this, you'll see in your texts, the progress is detachment, dispassion, <coughs> ceasing, relinquishment. This cooling down of that 
uh, that attraction, that that compulsion of citta, the activation of citta, and heedfulness, being vigilant, attending to it by day and by night, whatever's being felt, perceived, touched or tasted is this way, is not permanent, is not satisfying, is not myself. This, you know, in summary, is is the, the Buddha's teaching. Beginning and the end of it. Heedfulness is the path to the deathless. <coughs> and uh, that first saying of Brahma Sahampati, this uh, aspiration body that descends into the Buddha's mind, the overlord, uh, the world surveyor, five faculties merge in the deathless. So the five faculties are really uh, teasing out of the implications of heedfulness. Five faculties, faith, confidence, there is a way out, there is a better, there is a path, there is a realization of the unborn. Energy, we're energized by that. We're, hey, you know, that's interesting. That that's attracts me. I want to work on that. Where is that? You know, we get some energy, application energy. Mindfulness, we start to bear certain things in mind, which is bearing the teachings in mind, remembering the teachings frequently, <coughs> sustaining them, bearing practices in mind, bearing ethics in mind, bearing commitments in mind. You're using that power of the mind's ability to store, to resolve, to sustain, and not be entranced, not be knocked off course by stray things of no relevance or lesser relevance. Concentration, you're able to deepen, and wisdom, your discernment. So these, this is the, you know, the, the, the realization of the deathless. Okay, so I'll stop there for this particular time. And uh, a couple of things. First of all, you might like to take a ten-minute break to stretch your legs or go to the toilet or you might like to come back and ask questions or comments or you might like to make questions and comments now we don't know do we (laughs) okay nobody's rushed out the door so we must be on track let's have some questions then okay yeah your name is Ray. Ray. Um, I'm just thinking about um, something crops up in life, which um, has a large effect. It's, it's something that um, manages to crush any equanimity that, that has already been established. Uh, something that's really important, and just it's it's the sort of passion that overwhelms things. Um, then how how does one get back to this um, calmness or the equanimity mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. lost? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if that explains it. It's it's something in life crops up that's so big that you feel unable to cope. Well, there are two fundamental. Um, Resources. Primarily, I mean, you could say that the o- overall thing is heedfulness. Heedfulness is the ability to 
change gear, to pause, to step step out of the drama and just up periscope, you might say, just come up to another level of what's going on, what's happening, you know, rather than just be in it, you, you know, you can come up to it. Then there are two, so that's a, that's a thing that just to keep practicing and the ability to just, you know, every few hours, just to pause for 10 seconds and what's happening, you know, overview. But there, there are two fundamental resources, only two, two fundamental resources that the Buddha said you can't practice without, really. One is, um, the internal is what's called your wise attention, yonisomanasikara. The external is kalyanamita, the good spiritual friend. So when one feels one's boat is overturned, then, you know, you probably want to find your Kalyanamita uh, to sometimes just to share it. Nothing more than that, just somebody to talk to about it. So you get some sense of it's, it's got some place where it can be discharged you know, or, or established or, or, or then somebody may give you some feedback on it. Um, you know, because when we're in our stuff, it's so difficult to get perspective on it. Our wisdom capacity is profoundly impaired by by um, the uh, you know being thrown out. So sometimes you need someone else to say, "Well, actually, you know, I know the really important bit is that bit. I know this feels very painful for you, but the really important thing is rather than worrying about." him and da, 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 you, you should look after yourself or <laughs> something like that even though this feels strongest for you because I can sympathize but I'm not, I'm not feeling it you know I'm just feeling so I've got an overview that you can't have because I'm not there on the end of that feeling my perceptions are somewhat different so then I can see your your picture in a much bright broader sense and say well yeah I know that feels really difficult but actually the important thing is that bit you know around um giving it time or um, recognizing people have to sort themselves out or, you know, go for a walk, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they just look after your body. So that helps the Kalyanamita. Kalyanamita may be someone who can help you to, uh, to, to establish your, your wise attention. That is in all this, in all this conflicting mass what is the bit, what is the skillful bit to focus on? Yeah. Sometimes the skillful bit to focus on is just, this will change. There will be a tomorrow, this will change. You know, uh, rather than, I'm stuck in this forever, this is what I, you know, it's my fault, and those things, which it gets really embedded. It becomes myself, it becomes uh, permanent. Uh, so then we lock into it because of our, difficulty in really letting painful experience be felt then this is this locking is is intending to block it out but it tends to hold it in yeah so those are you probably your whatever the scenario is you know th- those are your those are your three first of all heedfulness vigilance realize hey this is important i am in difficulty i'm not managing this very well at all 
um, right, you know, uh, where's my Kalyanamitta? <laughs> and uh, how do I establish wise, appropriate attention to this? I can't just dismiss it. I'm not, I'm not getting over it. I need to do something with that. So those, those would be your two, two references. Yeah. Um, the chitta is the sense of I am is as it were polluted with all the sankharas which turn the I am into a conglomeration of itself and the, but and it, if the chitta is inherently still and spacious I suppose in the sense my question is how big is it any sense of the limits the size yeah yeah limits the range yeah yeah, yeah. Well, does, what does it look like when no when there's no sense of um, is there still a that, that with all the references I've seen to chitta are, are an individual kind of uh, um, description so one has a chitta or his chitta mm mm-hmm. At the arrival at the goal, what what happens to the chitta? Is it is it is it? It's released, which means you know the the current that the programs that are giving it shape. So you can imagine like whirling masses of energy, tightly configured or particular trembles on them. All that is released. So the the as it said. There's no way you could define this because that which can be defined has gone out. Yeah. So it's normally defined by like a picture frame, defined by, if you take the frame away, how big's the picture? Well, you know, which is the picture and which isn't? It's, you know, you've taken away the way it can be defined. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a description you might have come across, this rather famous one, where the Arahants, the Buddha's just been with his whole group of squabbling monks, and he, he gets fed up with that. So he, oh, yeah. so he goes off, and he meets these, I think five of them who are, who are either Arahants or pretty near, who are just living in complete harmony in this, in this uh, grove. And they say, oh, we are of separate bodies, but we're of one mind. It's as if the chitras have lost their self-concern and just merged into, you know, what, what's myself and yourself are the same value, you know. So they look after each other, they help take in turns to mop out the refectory and stuff like that and then get together and talk. They don't have any, any boundaries between each other. Or the boundless mind or the mahachitta, the mind made great. So this is when the self-definitions have receded or been put aside. There's just this sense of wide knowing, empathy. You know, it's empathic, it's, uh, it's aware, it's suffusive, it feels steady and calm. Um, that's about all you could say, really. <laughs> so in a sense, Sangha would be the broadest you're on, a, you're on a very ideal level, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs>
one mind? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's 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 the that's the uh, you know that's the attractive potential that could it could happen and probably has happened here and there in human history, whereby you know this rather amazing sense of uh, empathy uh, without any any inner barriers and conflicts and nervousness and issues, you know, between each other, and just the you know, just imagine the, the uh, when the mind isn't hindered, the power, the, the wonder, the beauty of that, when there's none of that kind of cramping and fluttering going on, you know, all that, all that energy is released into something that's just purely bright, that's why it's called fundamentally radiant, because it's um, all that energy when it's suddenly not being formed into these, oh, I'm like this and he never does that on time stuff. <laughs> Stops. <laughs> you just got the energy is released into something that's really rather, rather radiant. Yeah. I have a question. Um, in one of the talk, in the talk, you talked about um, phobias. Um, can't bear to live there. Mm, spiders, <laughs> tripe and onions. <laughs> 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 Things like that. <laughs> 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 yeah. How, there's certain things that I've looked at which haven't shifted yet. I've tried to do it mindfully, I don't know. Um, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give? Well, um, if it's in terms of a negative response, a phobia, you might say, or a reversion, depends what it is. So that... <coughs> You try to get into the perception. What does this thing carry? What does it signify? Why is it unpleasant? Is it, you know, (laughs) 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 what's, you know. So then if it's it's an animate thing, like like an animal or a creature, like worms or slugs or something, try to think this is a creature that loves life that wants to feed, be unharmed, be happy in its own little way, get its food, uh, be free from violence, mm, reproduce. That's what it's trying to, that's what it wants to do. It does not, it's not put on the planet in order to to annoy me. (laughs) 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 There's no intention to do that. (laughs) I am the one who's making it that way or something in my mind is making it. They just keep trying to replace the, with a sense of empathy for that particular creature, you know. Doesn't, you know, if it's dangerous, you, you don't have want to go near it, but you don't have to feel averse to it, just say, that's a crocodile, just keep away, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, be well, be happy, go somewhere else. <laughs> 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 so, 
So it's like that. So these, because these phobias, like as I say, none of this perception is completely wrong. It's always got some something in it. Some of them are, are really are pretty. Haven't got much in them. So uh, <coughs> then, if it's inanimate, it means something like you know muck or feces or things that you find disgusting. Try to see it just as elements: earth, element, liquidity and so forth, and break it down into, well, it's the smell I don't like, or it's the sight, or it reminds me, or, it, you know, and it's always, your, there's an interpretation that's being made, you know, what is a bad smell, what is a, what is a, uh, an ugly thing, why is it ugly, I think most, like if you look even at, I was noticing, you, you know, if you get oil spill into water, it's quite beautiful, you look at the rainbow colours on it, and yet it's, it's really a blemish. So your perceptions, if you study it, look at what, it, what does it mean, it really is just the play of elements, nothing more than that. And the rest of it, you're, again, one's mind is interpreting. And it's not that that's completely wrong, but it doesn't help you. So you're going to try to keep replacing one perception with the other perception. There are certain triggers that we have, um, Inclinations uh, for um, security is one. For, um, you might say food is another. That's something that will give us good energy to take in. Security, that will be free from harm. Um, security, and then also our potency, our ability to create or be free or move, something like that. So things that are we see in negative ways are generally ticking negative boxes, saying this thing is threatening me. There's this spider, which is you know one and a half inches long, <laughs> and I, I'm five foot eight. <laughs> it's threatening me. I don't think so. <laughs> you know, you, you, you just stand on it, you're dead. <laughs> that spider could run all over you. It was not going to do you any harm. But you you, f- you interpret that way, you know. Uh, and so it's not that way, or it's somehow it's associated with an unpleasant feeling, but it's just you know sensations and things of this nature. So we start to just keep working at it like that. And the things that you want to first of all um, not be impatient, or make it make it make a make a, uh, a pathology out of it, like there's something wrong with me, I've got this thing, because that just gets in the way uh, of, 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 of uh, getting down to the point. A lot of people have various degrees, lesser and greater degrees of a, what they call obsessive compulsion disorders. It's not that uncommon. You know, you've got to knock three times before you get up or have your shoes placed in a certain place, uh, you know, under by the door, or always do this on a Friday, or uh, clear your throat twice before you speak, something like these things. And they're all about security, which makes us feel secure. So we start to ritualize our experience to, to ward off the feeling of insecurity. Because the, so you've got to start, whenever anything in this nature goes, you've got to not worry about the particular disorder, but start emphasizing the quality of security, for example, so that when everyone is secure, then these other things are not needed, they drop away. 
But if you just focus on your phobias as, oh, I'm, I've got these funny, then it's, it's wrong attention. Try to understand what it's about and amplify the remedy, a feeling of benevolence, confidence, security, goodwill. So these other things become gradually weaker and weaker and they fade out. that a bit further um, as you kind of put in the label I was thinking about how um, post-traumatic stress disorder um, affects physical mental yeah. so that would be the same principle to yeah except with that generally this, is, this has become so it becomes embodied it, it's a, the, so the, the chitta sankara and the kaya sankara, the bodily programming, the bodily intelligence, and the mental intelligence are not completely separate. They, they resonate with each other. So when you get very profound shock, it goes into the body. The body registers it. So even though you can rationalize, say, you know, there's nothing to fear here, your body still <laughs> feels it. So to heal it, you have to bring the two together. Yeah, and you've got to start to almost work from the body level on up, um, which may indeed need the presence of a Kalyanamita, presence of someone else, you know, who's outside it, who to say, well, just, just, you're okay, just bear with that, relax, relax, you know, and uh, what, what, you know, what are you perceiving now? I'm feeling threat, I'm feeling uh, terror, I'm feeling okay, feeling threat, feeling to just that sense of somebody who's, who's you're able to name these things to, but is is uh, bringing the quality of calm uh, and compassion to bear to allow that the perceptions and the feelings to be discharged, and then gradually, you know, the, the whole thing could can relax, come out of it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's skillful and unskillful ones, Sankara. So it's rather like, uh, you might say, you know, if you, if you want to control a forest fire, what you, go, what you do is go around and burn things. <laughs> you know, use fire to fight fire. If you want to uh, counteract electric current, you might send a counter current. If you want to counteract a, 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 a waveform, you might send a counter wave to against it to check its flow. So you use one with, yeah. You see what I mean? The basic principle, energetic principle. You know, where energy is going one way, you just send a contradictory energy to to, to check it, or to 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 govern it. Mm. So, you know, mindfulness, for example, counteracts the tendency to to scatter and agitate. 
So it's a, it's, a, it's a system of bearing something in mind, holding it. It's got certain faculties. One of it is restraint. It restrains the scattering agitation of the mind. So it's, in, but it's, a, it's a sankara because it's got a motivation. It's established. It's energetic. It needs, needs to be continually kept going. It's a program. And its program is stay, stay, <laughs> stay with that, you know. So it counteracts the proliferations and the agitations. Um, so, you know, that's a sankara working against another one. Mm. And through that, the eventually, you know, with those two together, you know, you get the agitation that meets the mindfulness. <laughs> then through that, the agitations, if the, if, the agi- if the mindfulness is more powerful than the agitation, the agitation pattern starts to break up, loosen up. Then we might see, oh, what's the source of that agitation? Well, it's uh, feeling inadequate or something. And then, well, right, then we, oh, well, let's put some metta in there. <laughs> Kindness, you know. So, uh, then the, then so that as the energetic forms uh, are met and challenged, then wisdom can occur. So first you check the energy and then you start to apply the wisdom. The wisdom might be, oh, that's the problem. And then the remedy comes up. Sometimes it's just, that's the remedy. Just to see the problem and realize that perception is not accurate. Sometimes we need to add something like compassion or kindness, fundamentally, or calm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, so that w- one sankara would be just that which which acts to counteract the energy. Another one would be that which tends to uproot the perception. And then when it's done its work, then naturally that sankara, that skillful sankara, that can just rest because there's nothing to do. It's finished its work. So the Buddha, um, the saying is, this is sublime, this is peaceful, the Quelling the quelling of all sankharas, the elimination of all substrate nibbana. So it's this uh, all the this, the unskillful have been quelled by the skillful. The skillful therefore can relax, and the the substrate, which is the fundamental uh, basis for self view, uh, is is eliminated, and then this, this is nibbana. What would be the, the way that you would suggest to uh, counteract sort of <coughs> like when I hear these teachings and then I'll feel quite calm, etc., etc., and then there's like a feeling of real excitement, like a real, like you could hear in my voice now, like real, <laughs> real excitement. You feel well enough. But then I find that what happens with that is that then there's always like a drop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Quite, it's quite, quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. I think you need to use the excitement rather than just be um, the pleasure of excitement, which is the sense of, wow, it suddenly will open possibilities. Yeah, this is, feels good. Well, well, do <laughs> do something with it, <laughs> you know. Apply. This is where the, the sense of confidence suddenly you get. Oh, that sounds really good. Then you get the energy comes up. Then you need to apply it, the energy um, to 
do some walking or you know bring it into your body so generally with with mindfulness the when you choose a particular theme your first um, basis is to fir- well, first establish the theme and then to, to really fill it out so mindfulness of the body for example and then fill it out the whole body the fingertips the toes the ears the energies the heat the warmth the movement whole of what it is so it becomes then your energy is used up in in that in that way and then it starts to you could see you can't you don't want to cut energy off nor suppress it you want to give it a big enough place to stabilize yeah so we spread it over the whole body and then you can start to work into the mind and 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 the result of it is calm it's not as calm it's not a suppression of energy it's a correct administering of energy, giving it the right space to settle in. It's not trying to damp it all down. Yeah. Joan, if um, I summarise what you're saying as a description of the path, for want of a better word, what what comes up for me is that um, it's clearly a path that works and it's clearly very well understood and yet looking around me and also looking within me, then it doesn't always bear fruit. And what comes up in terms of, um, is my old question about what works really, is how much actual control do we have, not only within ourselves, but how much control overall is there for applying this path, because it clearly, if you look at the world around us, has only partially borne fruit, hasn't it? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <laughs> yes, only partially borne fruit. <laughs> lovely, lovely, yeah. Completely ignored in most cases. Yeah. If I look within myself, uh-huh. the same kind of um, could be said. Bits have not been reached yet. So do we have, what level of control do we have over what, over how much we can apply this wise teaching? And is that control an illusion? Uh, I don't know, you can control. Mm. So there's another way of putting it, is it just karma ripening or are we actually driving the bus? Well, both really. Uh, there's, there's just shifting the uh, accumulation of habit, of vipaka, of inheritance, of unskillful or profit unprofitable tendencies and energies. You know that's that's your that's the mass you've got to dig through, and then the you, then uh, then you then you also your capacity to to both have the energy and the wisdom to do it, and also the time to do it. Yeah, so those are all, uh, those are all variables. Yeah. Those are variables. You can't, I can't say um, how, how much there is to shift, or um, how long it's going to take, but the more, more we do it, 
the more we stay with it, the more we do it, it's, it's going to work. Um, that's not just an en- energetic capacity, it's also a wisdom capacity, because there may be places I just do not see, you know, I don't realize I have to work with, which is the really tricky bit. Ignorance is not clear. <laughs> this is why the refuge, is why Kalyanamitra is so important, someone who can see the back of your head and say, you know, you've got a spot there. Um, so that, that's why, it, to me, it's such a fundamental refuge. And Kalyanamita is, uh, in short supply, I think, uh, uh, for, for all of us. You know. um, and why is attention? You see, whereas for, uh, I think for many of us, perhaps if one lives in a monastery, the proportion is greater of occasions for skillful attention, things that you're, you're, you don't have to attend to, you know, whereas if you're out there in the world, there's all sorts of stuff, which is functional and necessary, but isn't actually really bringing up profitable mind states. <laughs> you know, it's bringing up driven compulsion, got to get this done, you know, stuff like that, rather than, oh, this is beautiful, this is good. So those, all of that, the the lessening of Kalyanamita and the lessening of wise attention certainly slow the whole process down. How much control we have in, 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 in those I'd say, if we have any control, the control must first of all go towards, you know, generating more occasions for heedfulness for the surveying and then looking out for Kalyanamita and looking out for wait a minute those things if I keep looking at that it doesn't do me any good put it aside you know some pruning <laughs> uh, and it's not moralizing it's just a just a pragmatic realization it's always <laughs> takes me to a bad place <laughs> you know so just <laughs> whereas this bringing more attention to this takes me to a good place and start working that out as as much as, as as best as one lifestyle can do can offer you know um and things that we find ourselves you know not getting skillful mind states i still have to do it is there another way i can look at this that could transform my mind state you know maybe it's a kind of boring job but actually when i think of it is i'm doing this this provides you know, food and nourishment for my, my partner, my wife, my children, then suddenly a positive mind state arises. I kind of lift to a level where I can look at this rather mundane chore in a more, w- in a way in which gives rise to more wholesome perceptions and intentions. You know, compassion or uh, nobility, generosity. And if uh, so, you know, fundamentally, again, it, we've got the boundaries of the five precepts, then anything that strays outside of that, and the difficult one, I think, probably the most difficult one is right speech, really, really right speech, you know. Um, then if we can stay within that, then the rest of it, is, is it possible that we could just look at our lives in rather different ways, rather than always feeling so resentful about all these things, could I develop more patience? And therefore, that would help. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas the five precepts, 
I feel are more or less a, 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 an absolute requirement for, for liberation. Those are the boundaries. And the, 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 the fourth precept is the most telling one because that gives you a good readout of the way your mind <laughs> works. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at the, the fourth precept, the, the precept on speech, it doesn't, though it's just translated as lying, I think we might need to change that translation because it means uh, lying, uh, gossiping, cursing, and then what's called foolish prattle, which, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite, generally foolish prattle is sort of a general blanket for nervousness and filling in the time. And, and then uh, yes, it doesn't, so, you know, that's an area which gives us a, g- a good way of looking at our eliminating the working on the negative perceptions or the not even negative just careless perceptions stuff that's just not it's just useless it's not you know it's just sheer sheer careless just heedlessness babbling over so those are things we have some control over and it's always you know it's marginal isn't it because his impulses keep running out but our impulses we have some control over we can get control over our external circumstances we have less control over but our relationship to it we can we can work on yeah is that helpful Time for some meditation. Yeah. So let's have some, perhaps do some walking meditation for about an hour. Um, so 20 past 11, some can ring the bell, I can prepare for the meal. So when you're doing walking meditation, then find a place where you can walk up and down. What's important? What's, what's, most imp- what's the most important thing at this particular time? You know, this particular moment in time. What's the most important thing? Most important thing maybe, you know, I've arrived here. Da, 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 a lot of stuff coming to mind. Lots of thoughts have come in. Lots of information to given. Maybe I just need to create some space and let all that settle down. You know, move in. And you know, so feeling your body, trying to get the whole body, walk the body along in a way that feels both complete, you know, like the, the whole body is included in the walking, your arms, your back, your legs, your feet, you know, the feelings, the sensations are there. As that becomes more established, so it becomes uh, agreeable rhythm, not, not difficult. Or, and then within that you might start to, as you get some sense of calm, is there anything important, what's the important piece in my, in my mind, you know? Is there anything, um, is it calm or is it a particular uh, memory or something that's been said today that could bear some closer reflection? You know, something that's, that struck you about the teaching that you could stay with and contemplate and, and experience the meaning of it. If there isn't, that's fine. <laughs> Just keep walking. <laughs>
uh, so that then we have the meal and have a look again at some of these pieces. Uh, by all means, sit and meditate either in here or in the Bodhinyana Hall or the temple or your room or out in the field, anywhere you like. And we'll meet again at three. <laughs>